Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not more, are you not more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jeff, and normally an introduction would come at the beginning, but I wanted to attach these words to the message of the video. If we're honest, in the midst of our struggles and our needs, we can feel abandoned by God and we believe that he's left us. And anxiety tells us the lie that God won't provide, and it blinds us to his presence and his work on our behalf. Anxiety brings our heart into bondage, which is why Jesus speaks at length against it in his sermon on the mount. Jesus came for so much more than our eternity with God. I didn't play that video first service because I had scrapped it, but I felt during worship there was a need for that today. Because as the, as the girl in the video feared, she became blind as she thought her dad left. And Jesus is insistent on teaching about worry and anxiety, and it's become something so prevalent in our culture and our lives, we've gotten used to it. And we think it's normal. We think it's part of our, it should be part of our existence, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus came to free us from anxiety. Jesus came and walked on earth so you can have peace now and not be held captive by anxiety. In Luke chapter four, he comes onto the scene, and this is what a lot of scholars would say. This is how he starts his ministry. He comes into the synagogue and lead, reads this passage from Isaiah. It's Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus came for so much more than for you to have a bunch of good days and bad days and spend eternity with him. That's why he starts out, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This isn't like a rebuke from God. It's more of this, you don't have to worry about this. I have it. You, you wouldn't, you don't have your kids worry about the bills or how to buy groceries because it's not for them to worry. That's something you do as a parent. Is it possible that in a much higher way, God tells us you don't have to worry about that. I have your needs. I'll provide. I'll take care of this. Anxiety does several bad things for us. There, there's really nothing good. It overpromises and underdelivers. And I want to share a few things, three things that what anxiety does, and then three things to do in response for anxiety. And <clears throat> number one is anxiety decreases our faith. Anxiety decreases our faith. It's generated when we think we need something in any particular moment that we don't actually need. We think we need something that we don't actually need, and so it starts generating anxiety. It confuses want with need. And since we don't get what we want, we believe God is withholding our need. That girl said, my dad gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. Jesus articulates this in his sermon when he says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how will he not clothe, will he not clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. If you're worried about these things, he's, he's saying this anxiety decreases your faith. The father promises what we need and not what we want. And sometimes that's hard and a difficult message for us in the Western world to receive. Because if you just take a look at our wealth and our, our, our style of life, there's so much that we have that, that is need that's provided. And what we want is not provided and we confuse that with need. So anxiety will decrease our faith. Anxiety causes us to lose sight and bring bondage to your heart. That girl forgot her father was there. It will block our awareness of God because it dominates our subconscious attention. It's, it's kind of like you, you begin to view God as, what anxiety will do is tell you that God's not there to provide. So you begin to view him as like a, taskmaster to be pleased. He doesn't there. He loves you, but he doesn't like you. I, one of my favorite comedians has this bit where he talks about a lot of people I love, I don't like. Some people kind of giggle and he's like, you know who you are. I go through Thanksgiving and Christmas too. 
There's a lot of people I'll cry at your funeral, but I don't want to go on vacation with. It's, if, if we're honest, it's true. There's, there are people in our lives that we love, but we don't really like. And we think God treats us that way. And anxiety will tell us he's not there to provide. He's not there to give what you need or maybe even what you want. So you got to do it. Anxiety is an early detection system. If you look at it this way, it's kind of like a gift. Anxiety is an early detection system that you're depending on something other than God for your well-being. One of the things that's been so helpful for me in my life and something Pastor Michael and I share is uh, just this thought or this concept, what if we begin to look at temptation in life as a gift? Because temptation is an opportunity to see God glorified. And if we start to look at temptation in life as a gift, that is, an, that is a fulfillment of the very verse that says the wep- that the weapon formed against you shall prosper. So temptation is a weapon formed against you, but what if it turns around and instead of being tempted into sin, you view that temptation as an opportunity to glorify God. You're using the very weapon that the enemy has for you against him. The last thing he wants is for you to glorify God. Anxiety can be viewed the same way. When you feel it start welling up in your heart, you need to understand and tell yourself, wait, this is, there's something now where I'm looking at myself to fulfill instead of God. There's this tension here where I'm, I'm not trusting God and, and perhaps I'm not trusting him in this area. So what it does is it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, God, how do you see this? What do you have to say about this? Is this a want that I'm not getting that I can let go? Or is this a need that I know you'll provide? So how can I release that to you? Anxiety is an early detection system. If we don't go to God in that midst of that, it blinds us. We feel abandoned. We believe God's left us. Tells us God won't provide. We don't feel his presence. He's not working on our behalf. Jesus talks about that in his sermon. He, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Not you, heavenly father, your heavenly father. That's my fault, not theirs. I gave it to him like that. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Jesus is saying, hey, when, when you are wrapped up in anxiety and you're looking to meet your own needs, you're behaving like the unbeliever. That's what the Gentiles do. They don't have a heavenly father like you do. When Jesus says, consider the birds of the air, he doesn't say their heavenly father. He says your heavenly father. So your father provides for a lesser created creature. How much more can he provide for you? It's your heavenly father. But anxiety blinds us to that. So why is anxiety so bad? One, it decreases our faith. Two, it causes us to lose sight and it brings bondage into our heart. Three, it will interpret 
the past, steal your present, and cost you your future. Anxiety will interpret your past, steal your present, and cost you your future. Anxiety overpromises and under delivers. It can't add to your life, but it can decrease it. It can't make you taller, but it can give you arthritis and make you shorter. It won't give you freedom. It will take away your freedom. And anxiety doesn't even allow you to be present in the moment. Think of it this way. You guys all just had a, a Thanksgiving meal and a dinner. And Anxiety, when we, when we can come up to the table and commune with God in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our issues, the issues are real, the trauma's real, the difficulty's real, but anxiety tells us you got to figure this out. You got to come up with a plan. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to do that. I will provide for your needs. It's kind of like we have this table. We're invited to come up and dine with him. But instead, we're going to sit in the back and eat candy. My favorite candy is Skittles. I like Skittles like the Pope and Hagen's like them some coffee. The Pope and Hagen's. And uh, <clears throat> there are little bags of Skittles there's a secret stash here at church, and I get my daily allotment of fun-sized Skittles. It's a, it's a secret, yeah. So, and when I get caught, I usually mutter something like, don't muzzle the ox while it treads. Um, <clears throat> but if I'm anxious about something where I know God has a solution or, or he promises he will, it's like me coming up to the Thanksgiving Day table and instead of eating all this food, some nutritious, most nutritious, some not, I sit back and just eat a little fun size of Skittles and say, I'm all right. I'm good. This will satisfy. Like Skittles taste good in a moment, but it's garbage for your body. That's what anxiety does to your heart. It might satisfy an urge in a moment, but it's garbage for your body. When you could be having a nutritious meal of God's grace and his provision. So anxiety will reinterpret the past. It'll tell you this is what all happened in your past and why you got to fix this problem and what this means about you. It'll steal your present. You can't even be in, in the moment with people because you're so consumed. And it'll cost you your future. That's why Jesus says in his sermon, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is giving us a daily rhythm. A daily rhythm. And we, we so often want a monthly or a weekly or a yearly rhythm, but that's not what Jesus or God has set up for his people. No, each day, each day. We need a daily rhythm. Manna was a daily miracle. And if they grabbed more manna than what was they could eat in a day, it turned moldy and sour the next day. It was it like miraculously molded, just like it miraculously appeared. And you know it was a miracle. miracle. <laughs> you know it was a miracle that it molded because on the Sabbath, it lasted two days. 
let me ask you this. Have you ever had yesterday's manna mold on you? And we think that's a curse, but maybe it's a provision. We need a daily rhythm. Jesus, when he gave them the disciples his prayer, he said, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not saying this to shame you, but I'm saying this just like Jesus said, hey, I'll take care of this. Don't worry. This is a form of encouragement. If you're not going daily to the Lord, you don't have what you need to sustain yourself. Don't use yesterday's manna. It'll make you sick. Scripture says, Lord, your your mercies renew each morning. I read this in a book that I'm reading about anxiety. Uh, it's called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And he, he said this quote, and I loved it. He said, put aside dead yesterdays and pregnant tomorrows. Put aside dead yesterdays and pregnant tomorrows. It needs to be a daily rhythm of today is done. Lord, I give that to you. What happened, happened. I celebrate it or I mourn it, but I'm putting it aside and tomorrow will come. And you will give me grace sufficient for that day. So now I go to rest. If you you prayed that prayer or went to bed with that attitude, you will have a peaceful sleep. (laughs) It's, It's almost like the serenity prayer. Put aside dead yesterdays and pregnant tomorrows. So that's why anxiety is so bad. It decreases our faith. It causes us to lose sight. It will bring bondage to your heart. It will reinterpret your past, your present, steal your present, and cost you your future. So what do we do with it? Because it is real. We have it. If it's not part of our lives, Jesus wouldn't be talking about it. What's the antidote to anxiety? Number one, starve your fear and feed your faith. Starve your fear, feed your faith. The way you starve your fear is to bring it out in the open, to name it. It's okay to be afraid of things. Fear is a natural, and I would argue, healthy emotion, as long as it's not in a driver's seat. When it gets in a driver's seat, it becomes unhealthy. People flee out of burning buildings for fear for their lives. That's a healthy emotion. But then the one who never gets back in a building, it's become unhealthy. You see the difference? And anxiety is often attached to fear. When you name your anxiety, it begins to lose its power. So we starve our fear by naming it, giving it to the Lord, and we feed our faith. History forgets the fearful but remembers the faithful. And I'm sure many of you, like we know the two names, Joshua and Caleb of the 12 spies, right? But we can't name off the 10. And unless you turn to your Bible, I submit that maybe one, if any of you can give me one name of the 10 in this room. Because you don't remember them. Because they were the fearful. I'm willing to bet, unless you're a historian, and even then probably so, uh, you can tell me a lot more about Winston Churchill than you can Neville Chamberlain. Because one made a treaty with Nazi Germany out of fear. 
The other went to war with what out of faith? History celebrates Winston Churchill. We don't celebrate Neville Chamberlain. So we starve our fear. We feed our faith. First Peter says 5.7, puts it this way, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's talking about God. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word in the Greek, anxieties, literally means what disturbs the mind and personality. We all have disturbing thoughts. We all have things that, that could keep us awake at night, that pull us out of the moment so we can't be present because we're concerned about them. We're anxious about them. And God's saying, give that to me because I care for you. And it, the other times this word is used in Scripture, that's what Paul talks about when he says, the cares of the church I carry daily. It's a reality. His, his mind was disturbed about worries and concerns of the church, but he gave them to God. Jesus, before he went to the cross, sweat blood. Tell you what, that's anxiety. So you're not alone. You're actually in good company. But both of them gave it to the Lord. Jesus submitted to the Father and says, I, I don't want this, but what you have for me, I'll do. And I believe because of that, he was able to face his accusers silent, to, to go through the torture, to be able to say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he submitted to the Lord, he gave his cares to the Lord. This reminds me of, like, I share about this. Our souls have backpacks. And uh, what COVID has shown us as a culture is we, we used to think or, or believe that trauma was an acute thing. It just happens. And it's true, it does. And then you have, it's like a brick gets put in your soul backpack. This traumatic event happens and this ton of weight just gets thrown on your soul. But what we've seen now is trauma is both acute but also cumulative. And every little disappointment in life is a level of trauma. Like you can, you could be bummed that it was raining this morning. That's a disappointment. It's a level of trauma. And you get through it. You can handle it. It's not nearly as bad as a significant traumatic event, but it's cumulative. So what happens in your backpack if you have 100 pounds of bricks but 50 pounds of feathers? Your backpack still gets full. And there comes a breaking point. And so what happened over the last two years in our culture is people are just getting feather upon feather upon feather upon feather of disappointments. And now you, you go to the store and someone doesn't put the cart back in the cart corral and you see people getting chewed out for it. People don't smile as much. It's because we have no reserves anymore as a culture and we don't have the capacity to handle disappointment. We can't handle trauma because our backpacks are full. 
And when God says, give all your anxieties to me because I care for you, it's the emptying the backpack. And sometimes a memory can bring that back in. It's not like a one and done thing. So you, you say, okay, Lord, this is bothering me again. I give it to you. I empty that backpack. Why our bloom and awaken events are so powerful is because we walk through a process of emptying your backpack. And a great story to articulate that is we, a guy came back and he was sharing. I asked him, like, How, how's it going with your family, job, and all these things? He's like, it's going really good. Like, things don't bother me as much anymore. I said, okay, tell me about that. And he's like, well, my wife was backing out of garage and knocked over my bike, my motorcycle. And she came in all worried, like, hey, I knocked over your bike, and it's okay. And he's like, that's, that's fine. She's like, what? It's okay. I already got a scratch on it because I'd gotten a wreck with it, but it's, it's fine. And he just picked it back up, and she went to work. She comes home, and it was bothering her all day. They're laying in bed, and she's just quiet. Finally, she's like, what is it with you? What's wrong? I don't get it. And he goes, it's just fine. And he was telling me the story, and I said, well, you know what that is? Your backpack's empty. And you can handle the disappointment. Because it's a disappointing thing when your motorcycle gets backed into. But you have the capacity to love through it. But if you don't empty that, you hit a breaking point, and you can't even handle feathers. Our culture right now has been at a breaking point, and you can see it. Look around. We can't even handle feathers because we don't give our anxieties to God. We need to starve our fear and feed our faith. Another thing we do is we replace anxiety with worship. So we name it, and we expose it to worship in the light of God's truth. We need to seek God, not solutions. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What anxiety tells us is God's not here, so seek solutions instead of him. But Jesus is saying, no, it's backwards. Seek God, not solutions. When I was writing this message, I thought about Jonah. Jonah's a man who sought his solutions and not the kingdom of God. But you know what? He saw... God's display of power. And what happens is we'll see heaven's display, but we won't experience heaven's joy. And there are many, like we, it's just like the elder son in the story of the prodigal son. He tells the father, I've slaved for you, yet you've never given me anything to celebrate with my friends. And we feel that way. If the Anxiety will tell us God, God loves you, but he doesn't like you. He loves you, but he doesn't like you. He tolerates you, so you're not really getting what you want or what you need. You'll, you'll spend eternity with him, but it's kind of miserable now. So you, you, just, you just obey to kind of get through it, right? We walk around with people. People in the church today will walk around and they're going to share eternity with us, but they're not going to share joy in the moment because anxiety has robbed it from them. They're seeking solutions and not God. So Jesus gives us the answer to that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we 
We starve your, starve your fear and feed your faith. Replace anxiety with worship, and we replace anxiety with generosity. Often anxiety comes out of a financial need, so it's no accident that Jesus talks about choosing to either serve God or serve money. And then he moves right into this worry, anxiety, like 10 verses on it. Anxiety is often a byproduct of serving money instead of God. Or you could actually, you could say it this way. When you serve money instead of God, it will always produce anxiety. Not all anxiety is a result of this, but this will always produce anxiety. The spirit of mammon, Mike talked about this last week. The spirit of mammon will always overpromise and underproduce. It'll promise you the things of God, but never produce them. And so generosity is the quickest way to break the spirit off your life and to be free of that anxiety. It's just as powerful as forgiveness, <clears throat> breaking off bitterness, but we don't like to talk about generosity as much as we like to talk about forgiveness. Because uh, I, I believe... One, the reason is we're more willing to live with the brokenness of anxiety than we are with the brokenness of bitterness because we're comfortable with the anxiety, the financial anxiety. It's, I would be so bold as to say one of our idols in the Western church is self-effort and provision. And so we don't want to touch it. We don't want to do without and so it's easier for us to forgive than to be generous because we're more comfortable with the bondage of anxiety than the bondage of bitterness. But generosity is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's more than just money. It's, it can be a giving of your time, your energy, gifts, items. It's, it's asking the question. Generosity is the lifestyle of asking the question, what can I do without so that others can receive? In this church, Radiant Church is a generous church. And that's why we celebrate your generosity. Every time we talk about offering, we celebrate something that's happening because it brings freedom and advances the kingdom of God. And if you find yourself here, just ask the Lord that question, how can I adopt a generous lifestyle? One of those ways, one event you can do to help this lifestyle is the giving hope. It's something we do every year. And it reminds me of a story because my little daughter, she likes to create anxiety. I opened, I opened first service with that. And so we had asked her, I think it was last year or two years ago, do you want to give some toys to giving hope? And she's like, yes. So she's going in her bedroom. And she's young. She doesn't necessarily know um, the nuances of I like this toy, I don't like this toy. I, I like this toy, but I can get without. It was just I love or hate. And so she's putting these toys in a box. I hate this toy. I hate this toy. I hate this toy. And my son, who's is just very intuitive emotionally, and he's just into other people's emotions. He's very empathetic, and he's seeing this happen. And he's feeling bad for her. He's like, no, she really likes that. She's going to miss that toy. And so he's trying, to, he's trying to defend her. 
and it's getting emotional for him. And he's like, not this one, not that one. And we're having to like calm him down while she's throwing toys in his box. Well, she picks up on it. Yeah, and so she wants to take advantage of that. So she's now just doing it for a reaction from him. And there's this one moment where she has this Lammy. Lammy's special. And so he grabs Lammy to protect it from her, for her. You don't even know what you're doing. I'm protecting you. And so he's in the bed and he's like, not Lammy. And she comes in and she, there was another toy that he was looking at. And she's like, I hate that one. He's like, no. And she takes it and walks out of the room, puts it in. Yeah. And so she comes back in the room and we're like, Zach, it's okay. It's okay. And he's clutching Lammy. And she sees it and looks at him. She goes, I hate Lammy. (laughs) He goes, no. It was creating anxiety in his heart. Now, what Zach didn't know, and we are trying to comfort him is, hey, we are going to go through the box. We know what Bailey really likes, and we're going to withhold it. Because we know right now she's in a moment of excitement. We know, like you know, that she doesn't know what she's doing. But you can trust us. She can trust us for this moment. Is it possible that God knows that you know that you don't even know what you're doing? And that in an act of obedience, you can trust him. And he's saying, don't worry about this. Anxiety will tell you that you cannot give because you cannot go without. That's a lie. So I challenge you to ask God, what can I give so that others can receive? Would you guys please stand up? I'd like to pray for you. Father, I ask that you you just teach us what it means to rest in your peace and to trust you for our needs instead of ourselves. Lord, Give us the wisdom to cast off anxiety, to give it to you, to ask you how you see us in this moment, to trust you to give what we need instead of what we want. Father, if you are a loving father, then you'll teach us to see ourselves the way you do. So free us from the bondage of anxiety. Teach us to lay aside dead yesterdays and pregnant tomorrows and to trust you each day for provision and strength. In your name I pray.